0: You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Season 8 Drabbles by Lindsay Bones on AO3 Chapter 6 Tabula Rasa He can see the tears brimming in her eyes and feels his chest tighten. His attempts at an explanation come off more sharply than he'd intended. He can see that he said the wrong thing but he has no idea what the right thing is. I don't know what you want me to do here, Scully. She turns away from him. He watches her shoulder blades draw together, and she presses her palms into her lower back as she tips her chin at the ceiling. I want you to do whatever you want, Mulder, she sighs. Her voice is thick with tears, and it breaks his heart. You disappeared, and you died, and then you came back. You get to do whatever you want. She's reaching for the doorknob, and he can't stop himself from crossing the room. He reaches for her, but stops short, his fingertips so close that he can feel the warmth radiating off of her back. He fears that if he touches her, he'll wrap his arms around her and squeeze the life right out of her. She lets go of the doorknob and palms her face with her hands. What about you, Scully? What do you want? She draws in a long, rattling breath. I got what I prayed for. I just should have been more specific. And just like that, she grabs the doorknob and swiftly disappears into his fateful hallway. The door closes with a dull whomp. He's left standing with his hands still in the air, his fingers buzzing in anticipation of touching her. He backs away from the door, dropping his hands lamely to his sides. The fish tank bubbles happily in the corner and its occupants drift about, blissfully unaware. He wishes he could be that innocent. He picks up his bag, the spongy leather handles still warm from her hand, and wanders into the bedroom. The bed has been made, which is something he's not bothered to do once in his adult life. He imagines Scully with her short limbs and round belly, straining to tuck the edges of a fitted sheet, and chuckles softly in spite of himself. He drops the bag on the floor and flops face-first into the pillows. He can smell her. He catches it faintly at first, but sucks in a deep whiff and is hit full force. Some smells are inherently comforting to him. Summer rain on the concrete, tomato plants sunk into inky black top soil, and scully, a clean, warm smell that he'd never really been able to put his finger on. He'd said once, as she lay across his chest, that if the color pink had a smell, it'd smell like her. She laughed. And now, with his face buried in the pillow, he sees pink behind his eyelids, and his olfactory receptors are ignited like a string of firecrackers. Jesus, Scully, he sighs as he rolls onto his back. Realizing that she's been sleeping in his bed so recently makes his heart pound, out of fear or arousal he's not entirely certain. He sits up, propping himself on his elbows, and wonders if he can catch her. Surely she's not moving that fast these days. He gets up and peers out the window. There she is, moving to the curb as she raises her arm to hail a cab. Her other hand is digging fiercely at her lower back in tight circles. He goes to open the window, just as a cab noses up to the curb and he stops himself. She looks up and sees him watching her, and anxiety crawls up the back of his neck as he stumbles away from the window. He wonders if she could see the terror in his eyes from four floors up. He flops backward onto the bed and imagines a pink cloud puffing up in his wake as he remembers that first night. He'd had every intention of sleeping on the couch. It was the gentlemanly thing to do. But she woke up as he tried to settle her into his bed, Those sharp blue eyes peered up so earnestly that he could scarcely catch his breath. She pressed her hand against his chest, wordlessly asking him to stay. And so he did. Her mouth tasted like chamomile tea, and her lips were warm and buttery. His heart was pounding, and he wondered if she was as nervous as he. As he pulled away to look at her, he saw her eyes drop and her lashes flutter gently. There was a vulnerability a shyness that he'd never seen before. He cupped her face in his hands and laid soft kisses on her forehead, eyelids, and cheeks. God, you're so beautiful, he whispered as he went. He peeled her clothes away, just like unwrapping the breakables on moving day. When he slid into her for the first time, it felt like coming home, and he was overwhelmed with gratitude that she'd been the one to take him there. Jesus feel amazing, he sighed into the crook of her neck. She'd moaned softly as he stroked into her and was terrified that he would break her if he went too hard or fast. He even struggled to let his hands roam her bare skin, for fear his rough palms would tear at the vanilla silk of her skin. But she'd urged him on, running her hot little hands up and down his back, tilting her hips to bring him in deeper. He wanted it to last forever, and just as he feared it would end too soon, she went taut, arching her back and clenching around him like a vice. Oh, 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 oh. It came out in a voice he'd never heard from her. That was all it took. He was gone, tumbling over the edge with her. After, she lay soft and boneless against his chest. I love you, she said. Tears trickled down to his temples. He didn't say it back. Her brother had mentioned more than once that he was worried about her mental health. Trauma leaves more than a mark, Dana, he'd said. Bill doesn't know the half of it. No one does. Not even Mulder. The panic attacks started shortly after Dwayne Barry had gotten his hands on her. After the abduction, Donnie Faster, Gary Schnauz, the Cancer, the Bee Sting, Ritter's Lucky Bullet, and a dozen more near-misses. They've become part of her normal, the only recent change being that she's not taking her anxiety meds. Any semblance of control she had over the attacks is gone. So here she is, in the back of a cab with her heart pounding furiously, her head buzzing like a hornet's nest. "'Ma'am, are you all right?" the cabbie asks. She squeezes her eyes so tightly that she sees tiny explosions of white light. "'I'm fine.' I can take you to the hospital, he offers. No, I'm okay. I just need to get home. Please, she says, trying to repress the urge to take in a gulping mouthful of air. If it goes on like this, there will be Braxton Hicks contractions, probably a migraine to boot. She focuses on mentally reciting all the bones in the human body. The baby is fluttering and kicking, and she is reminded that she isn't the only one in distress. She makes it home, and once she gets the door shut, she comes unwound. She ends up in the bathroom vomiting up breakfast. The tiny hex tiles on the bathroom floor dig into her knees, making her kneecaps look like honeycombs. She is a shaking, sobbing mess, and hates herself for it. She grinds her molars together and wills herself to stop crying. An angry groan rumbles up from her chest as she struggles to get back to her feet. All the tears all the time wasted. Stupid. So stupid, she berates herself. This is what you get. There was a reason you didn't want to let him in in the first place. Now it's time to pay the piper. She wobbles and sways as she makes her way from the sink to the bedroom. Her sweater is heavy with perspiration and a touch of vomit. She pulls it over her head and shucks off her maternity pants. The urge to weep twists in her throat, and she shoves it down with a ragged breath. She shakes her hands at her sides, like she's trying to air dry them, and heads for the shower. Suck it up, Dana. No more tears. Not for him. She steps under the spray, just slightly hotter than she can tolerate. A contraction tightens her belly and squeezes at her back. She grits through it silently as she lets the water rain down over her. She's all business the next time he sees her although he notes her quiet grimace as she eases onto the couch. He can feel his hackles raise and nearly vibrate at the mention of a partner. Partner? Or baby daddy? Not so subtly, he reminds her that she's left him and their division behind. He wants to hate her for it. He really does. But sitting there with her mouth drawn in a tight line, he gets the feeling that she hates herself and him enough for everyone in the room including the nameless someone shifting under her sweater. You can talk as tough as you like, but you and I both know that you're going to have bigger things to worry about in a few months. She casts a sidelong glance his way, purses her lips in a way that he finds all too inviting. He grumbles under his breath when Skinner's hand falls to the smaller of her back as they leave. At the Hoover building, same story. Only this time, she's got her armor on. It didn't even occur to him that one could purchase a black button-down maternity suit, but there she is, looking like an overripe plum with legs. He has no idea how to approach her. He knows how he'd like to approach this partner of hers. Guns blazing, raining fire. He'd get a lot more than the lift of her imperious brow for that. At least an angry scully would be one that he recognized. The woman who greeted him when he woke is battered and vulnerable, He feels like he doesn't know her anymore. He's had a little time to read through the cases this Doggett fella has worked. It didn't take him long to realize that Scully had been through the ringer. She'd had more hospitalizations in the last six months than she had in the previous six years. Over and over again, Agent Doggett's name peppered the accounts. Oh, so easily replaced, he sighs. She can feel the animosity rolling off of him. He's angry with her for moving on, for living, if only he understood that she's barely clinging to life. The part of her that is growing and nourishing the baby, the part of her that worries over him as he proves just how angry he is, those appear alive. But the part of her that was adored, worshipped by him, she doesn't feel blood going to it anymore. After the debacle with John, he rides back to her apartment with her. She is stoic feeling like they're falling back into old routines. She wonders briefly if he has forgotten what they'd become before he left. She just wants to get home and get away from him. What's happening? This distance? Hurts more than she knew possible. His thunderous silence and aspersions make her chest ache. Scully, he murmurs, as he trails behind her to her door. She sighs and her shoulders drop. She can feel the tears pricking at her eyes, and she desperately doesn't want to fall apart in front of him. Mulder, not tonight, okay? Will you just slow down and talk to me? I'm… You're what? She gasps, turning on her heels with more agility than she thought she was capable of these days. You're what, Mulder? Happy for me? He gapes at her, clearly stunned. I cannot do this. Do you understand that? The tears are coming and she is helpless to stop them. He gives her the hurt puppy face that she loves and hates in equal measure. She feels the familiar tightening in her chest and sucks in a long breath, trying to halt the panic attack before it can start. She turns away and begs God to let her get inside and away from him soon enough. His fingers brush against the small of her back and it takes off like a cascade of dominoes. She is gasping, sobbing, flailing as she barrels away from him and through the doors of her building. She stumbles down the hall and nearly falls. Jesus, Scully! She hears some hiss behind her. His hands are on her, around her, lifting her. Even as he's holding her upright and moving her down the hall, she's weakly trying to push him away. No, she croaks. Leave me alone. Not a chance, he replies. They've made it into her apartment. He's laying her on her side in bed and situating himself behind her. He presses his palm against her sternum. His thumb and forefinger span the distance of her collarbones. It's the first time he's made a conscious effort to touch her. I'm here, he says into her hair. Just breathe. I can't, she gasps. She is shaking so hard that her teeth are chattering. She can feel it reverberating through the bones of her face and skull. He's holding her even tighter. She knows what he's doing. She explained to him once that pressure stimulates the autonomic nervous system, essentially distracting the physical chain reaction of a panic attack. Breathe, Scully. Breathe with me. She draws in a rattling breath and pushes it back out again. Good, he soothes. Just like that. Eventually the gasping turns to deep breathing, and soon she is drifting to sleep, wrapped in his arms. She's under a mountain of blankets when she wakes. Her shoes are off, but she's still in her clothes. Her bra is digging into her side, and her pelvis feels like it's being held together with spirit gum as the baby rolls deeply against her ilium. She groans softly as she attempts to roll to her back and push the blankets away. You okay, Scully? A gentle voice asks. She freezes. Scully? He beckons again. The room is dark. But she can see him sitting in the chair in the corner. She doesn't know what to say. ''You're still here,'' she blurts. He's rising from the chair and moving across the room. ''Well, yeah. I wasn't about to leave you like that.'' She wants to cut him down and let him know that's exactly what he did months ago. She thinks better of it and swallows the urge down. She sits up slowly, trying to get her bearings. ''You don't have to stay,'' she says looking down at her hands. He's approaching slowly, like you would a wounded animal. I know I'm screwing this up, he says, as he sits on the edge of the bed. You've been through a lot, she reasons, her voice barely above a whisper. He looks over, trying to catch her eyes. You have too. Skinner, the guys, they told me a little, he trails off. She nods, unable to make eye contact. The anxiety attacks is that a pregnancy thing, or she breathes deep and steals herself. They started after Dwayne Barry. he looks like she's caught him with a right hook. See, you're not the only one who keeps secrets. You never told me, and she's not one bit sorry for it either. No, I didn't. Scully. Why wouldn't you tell me something like that? She feels her heart start to pound. The nerve of this man, honestly. Because it's none of your business, Moulder. He seems to realize his hypocrisy as he rises from the edge of the bed. Try to get some rest, Scully, he says as he walks out of the room. Yeah, she says, not so much to him, but to the sound of her front door slamming shut. His phone chirps as he pulls away from her apartment. Moulder, he grumbles as he answers. Jesus, it's true. I'm sorry, who is this? He's not actually sorry, of course. God, I apologize. It's Cousin Mike. Mike? Damn, man, it's good to hear from you, he says, with the most unabashed chuckle he's had this side of death. It's good to hear from you. Fox, you were... Jesus, this is insane. Tell me about it. Wow, I want to see you. This weekend maybe? Yeah, definitely. We can go grab a beer. Or a cigar, since congratulations are in order." He isn't sure what the proper congratulatory procedure is for coming back from the dead, but he's pretty sure it's not cigars. Oh well. Okay then, cigars too. I'll reach out to Dana and apologize personally, but let her know that I'm genuinely sorry, would ya? Sorry for what? Geez, She didn't tell you, did she? She really is a class act, he says, sounding every bit the patronizing wasp he's always been. I approached her at the funeral and told her that I thought it was important that your mom's house stay in the family. Fox, I never would have put her through the paternity test if I'd known. Paternity test? Look, I gotta run. I'll call you Saturday, okay, buddy? Yeah, yeah, okay, he answers absently.